Let's have Owen. I think Owen Wilson should do our third and final hat trick Baltimore. Baltimore reference? Yeah, give me Baltimore one more Baltimore reference in yeah. an Owen Wilson voice. Not National it, Bohemian beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the reference, but it sounds wow. great. <laughs> Can you say, like, welcome to Baltimore, hun? In Owen Wilson's uh, voice? No. You wouldn't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, welcome to Baltimore. Um, what? Well, welcome to Baltimore. What is Han? Why would you say <laughs> this? Is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Story. This is a podcast where we take a story from one piece of media and adapt it into another piece of media. Uh, yeah, this week we're going to be taking Ghostbusters and making it into a third movie, which is dumb, but uh, we're going to do no, it anyway. No, it's great. No, it's not. So we're going to take Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and adapt it into a totally different thing, which is Ghostbusters 3. I was going to say, the way you phrased that was like, we're just going to take the first one and just remake it into a third, into a sequel <laughs> to Ignoring the second one and make it into a separate, unique sequel. Yeah. That might be a better move. I mean, honestly, a lot of people already pretend the second one doesn't exist. Uh, so let's make a sequel to that that's equally as bad compared to the second movie as the first one was, the second one was to the first. So there's some shades of like our Star Wars prequel episode where we just go, what if we did the good version of the thing this in the same media but just a good one here's the thing though i I feel like you know with ghostbusters it was like it should never have worked as a movie at all like the first one you know like it's so totally weird and kind of all over the place and just bill murray improvs all over the place and just it it shouldn't be cohesive at all but it, it it's like brilliant but um, the second one, not so much, you know, even though it kind of tried for the same thing, didn't succeed. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just I don't think it's possible to, like, make another Ghostbusters the same way. We're going to jump right in here. Um, and I think I was thinking about it a lot today because we had decided on the earlier today. And I think what, the, the thing about the second one was it was much more about the plot and there was a much more clear sense of like good and evil and it was like weirdly a little more wholesome where in like the first one if you look at like Venkman he's like a creep and a scumbag and that's like the thing about it that's so enticing do you know what I mean and like in the second one he's like much more kind of resigned himself he's it feels like he's like he's like Venkman light you know what I mean yeah. mm-hmm. and that was like the big pull of the first one was just like he's not a good guy you know right. but he just ends up having what it takes to overcome this thing it's um it's weird because to your point chris and i totally agree like the first movie is very character focused and the things that are happening around them like the plot is is so thin like it's you could describe it in like three sentences uh and and there's like a little mystery to uncover but like it's so not important like that's not the thing that you remember about those movies you remember like goofy one-liners and the the just the existence of ghosts and like slimer and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, like you remember beats, but you don't really remember the plot. But like, there isn't, there is like in Ghostbusters two with with um, uh, what the hell is his name, v- uh, Vigo, Vigo the Carpathian, Carpathian, yeah. Uh, there is a bad guy, like a capital G, cap, you know, capital B bad guy. Yeah, but there's also like a cartoonish art uh, restorer 
or whatever, or like the, he's like the museum curator, right? You are but the buzzing of flies, yeah. Vigo. <laughs> I mean, it's so also dumb. doing also doing an offensive accent. What? What? Where is that accent from, Chris? I don't know. No, no. It, well, who's it offensive to? He's just doing a parody of his own voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's weird because like it it is a good guys versus the like big evil ghost bad guy and in ghostbusters one you'll even know what they're really up against they're just trying to get a business off the ground well, until the yeah. very end right that's part of the reason that it's charming right it's like it isn't about the uh they like you have no idea when that movie starts where it's going you know and neither mm-hmm. did they like they basically just started it as bullshit and then found out it was real and had to deal with it you know right it's like a weird uh, a weird thing, and and then ha- and you know it escalates, and it just they were just there at the right place at the right time, you know. It's kind of like any successful business. But and forgive me if because um, I've watched it a thousand times, but didn't they kind of catalyze the situation too? Like their existence, like gave rise to like Gozer. That's and what um, Walter Peck. Like that was the accusation, which is like they created the market that they could then corner, which is like. That could be a real accusation for a real startup that finds a, a niche and like exploits it to that level, where it's like there's no one else doing this. Um, but I think that it was a complete coincidence, right? Like all these all comedic movies start with a weird coincidence, and they just like mm-hmm. there's a rise in ghost activity because you know the the skyscraper is focusing ghostly energy and it's opening a portal and like it's the, the proclaimed dates like there's like a for, for, foreshadowed like date and it's coming up soon so like they happen to start their ghost busting business right around the time of the ghost apocalypse which is just just the biggest world like the world's biggest coincidence um but i don't think that i think that once he shuts down the grid and all the ghosts get back out it it like triggers something but i don't think that like their existence as a as a group cause it but i could be wrong I, don't, I think you're right, but I was just making sure I didn't forget a scene. No, no, it's definitely just uh, like the, the movie is basically just a, a movie about a successful small business. It's weird, yeah, basically. Um, but what's what's funny is that like if like if they had started like a year earlier, it wouldn't have worked, right? Because it's just the complete coincidence of all the ghosts showing up at the at the right time for them to actually like corner this market. That's what's you know what's really great about it too, and it, and it it's um. Uh, that I think is missing in the second one is, is that coincidence weirdly is the thing that made it work? Um, because like the Bankman is a scam artist and like a sc- kind of a scumbag. And like, I, I, and I feel bad if I have, if I don't mention like the, the breakdown, the Mr. Plinkett's breakdown of Ghostbusters and the, like the, the most recent one, like he did a review on them recently. And he, he talks a lot about how this, the first movie is about starting a business. Um, but what's so good about it is the scene in which, like, if Inkman has an arc, he's, like, just trying to scam people, and then he, like, gets invested in, um, Dana, is it Dana? Yeah. Sigourney Weaver's character? Yeah, yeah. Dana Barrett. And then, like, yeah, I, I, for some, I don't know why I question myself, but, like, when he shows up at her apartment and she's possessed, like, and, it, and like, the stakes rise, like, he doesn't say it, but the whole sentiment of his, his demeanor in that entire sequence is, like, fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, like, I, I guess I have to do something decent now, you know? And, like, that's... It's, like, this reluctance versus in the second one, it's much more sort of a... It's, like, more altruistic. Yeah, and, like... But that's what makes it fun, I think, and that's what makes the movie stand out. Well, yeah, I mean, he does... He, he is a complete creep. 
uh, for most of the movie. But like he's start, he's sort of charming, and you kind of understand, you know, why people would like him, and then you like him, and then you know, yeah, at the end of the movie, he's got to be the one who kind of stands up and does something, which is nice. It's just it's a small thing, but it's you know. It's it's cool because like you can see him starting to believe it more and more as the movie goes on. Like he doesn't even believe what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, like when he goes to Dana's apartment that first time with that little weird like squeegee or that squeeze bulb thing, and he's just going. It's going. When he's like walking around, like he's just completely checked out. Oh, yeah. And he's doesn't give a shit, shit up, yeah. about anything. <laughs> he's just so trying to get good. in her pants the whole yeah. time. And he doesn't listen to a word she says. He's playing the piano. Exactly, yeah. And then at the very end of it, when she's ready to kick him out, he starts taking it seriously for a second, you know? And you kind of see that that's going to be what it takes. Um, but, you know, there's, like, zero... Like, he, he's just like, this is all bullshit, and we're all going to, you know... I'm I'm coasting on Ray's uh, three mortgages, <laughs> you know, for yeah, a little while it. longer, and then I'm going to move on to the next scam. Um, but it doesn't end up being that, you know? He ends up, you kind of see him start to believe in it as the movie goes on. It's interesting but to it's, watch him. It's the fact that he's... Go ahead. I was just going to say it's the fact that he's there for most of the movie and he's intriguing because of that. And he has something... He has that to overcome that makes that movie, I think, so much more interesting. And not, like, on a surface level. It just gives the, the movie a subtlety and nuance and, like, sense of humor and tone that is so much more uh, fun, well, it's, you know? It's That's also... The, it makes it relatable to people who watch it. You know, like, I feel like uh, You Need That Guy is the center of the movie who is going to take everything with as much of a, uh, like as much skepticism as the audience is. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too. Like he, he sort of grows to believe what's going on as the audience does. Right. Cause he's like the, the everyman and like that goofball that we all sort of want to be, uh, and can get away. Like we all want to feel like we can sort of like get away with that level of like being charming and, and just like, you know, uh, uh, just sort of like you know get away with that but he he doesn't believe in it at all at first and then we sort of believe in it and we sort of he matches the the viewer in that sort of arc really well which is really cool yeah for sure yeah and i think i mean to me that's the thing i think we have to dig back at is like how do we how do we set up our premise to try to not i wouldn't say recapture that because it's always the wrong thing i think because i don't want i think the first thing I had to set out or address is that, like Harold Ramis is dead. Um, so like when we are pitching this and exploring it, like what is, when are we setting this in relation to the first couple movies? Obviously, never I think this made, is but... not even like if they made it now. I think this is if they had made it like a couple years after the second movie. You know, okay. like what would that look like in the mid early nineties? You know. So hang on. So are we actually pitching an alternate? Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters 2B, or are we pitching a Ghostbusters 3 that does actually take into account all the Vigo, the Carpathian shit? No, it does take that in, but I'm saying, like, we're not talking about doing something like ET2, which was, you know, a 2017 The sequel. blockbuster smash e- ET2? Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I hear what you're saying. Slash reboot, you know, we're not talking about yeah. that. We're, we're talking yeah. about... Um, the ET equal. You know, if this movie had existed, what would it, what should it have been? Right. Right. Like, if they continued the pattern. Right. Like right, if they could convince Bill Murray that it wasn't a huge mistake, which uh, he would have been right about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, because this movie's going to do really well and be really good and sell really well, so it would not be a mistake at all. 
But we are not taking into consideration that the the newish the newer Ghostbusters with Kristen Wiig and no. stuff exist. No, no, I haven't seen it, and I don't really want to. No, but. we're talking about this. Like, if they made this movie right as like a trilogy, like a third movie in that series that would have been made several years after Ghostbusters two, so in like the early nineties, like like Sean said. So all the all the main cast are still alive, uh, uh, and it's in the tone of the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters two. Yeah, and I think we take into account the time period it would be made, and we take into account that Bill Murray was starting to take on some more interesting, serious stuff, and he would probably be wanting to put that in uh, into this film in some way, you know. But do we want to make it good too? Uh, well, that's it's going to be good no matter what. I think no matter because it's us three, so it's going to be just fabulous. Well, I mean, you know, like the best it can be, or just you know just better than everybody Well, I, I definitely want to talk about, like, how do we avoid the pitfalls of of making sequels or working on a franchise, right? Because it's, like, trying to figure out, you know, really understanding what makes the, the first movie or the first couple of movies so beloved and sort of not trying to just, like, ride off of nostalgia and say, okay, well, we got to call back to that thing. Remember that that, that weird device? we got to call back to that. Oh, yeah, no, fuck all of that. Right, right, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what would, that's the quote-unquote Hollywood bullshit bad version, and I don't want to do that. Like, I want to actually talk about how do we evoke similar feelings or similar, like, hit similar, like, themes and stuff, like, and try and do that, do it justice. Which might not be yeah. funny at all. I don't know. <laughs> might be bad for no, the I think that, um, uh, to me, like, we started on the right conversation already. Like, Venkman is the cornerstone of that franchise. You know, like, Ray and Egon are just kind of, like, strung along and by him, you know? Like, he then just manipulated, and Winston just, like, shows up for a job, which is so good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he's, he's, he's the foundation of it, and, like, I don't, maybe that's reductionist, but it feels to me like that's what's good about it, and, um... I think I think really just making sure we service that character in a way that didn't they didn't take into consideration for the second well, one. Well, they kind of tried much... to though, right? Like they tried to like make him grow as a person a little bit in the second one. But that's but I think that's what made it feel cheap, or you know, well, right? Like, it didn't like, feel right. It felt weird. It felt Disneyish. It felt Hollywood. It felt PG. You know, like. So like, I, and I'm just going to throw this premise out there, but I think I thought it would be, might be fun. Is like, kind of in the spirit of the first one, like business is going pretty well um, this time around, and like, but Venkman's just sick of fucking the grunt work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like trying to like just expand the business, even if it's just for franchising or something. I was actually thinking that like he would have completely sold out. Like he would have sold the oh, the rights and stuff. He would have, he would have like sold not sold the right. Well, yeah, like sold like he would have br- gone into like franchising, like getting toys made and getting like branded sodas, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like he would have just been a TV personality and stopped actually doing the work. You know? Yeah, even though he was like still like the headpiece for it, and like. Like you would have like photo ops and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Like he he doesn't actually want to do the work. He just wants to like be famous, right? And like the other guys are actually trying to do the job, or maybe they have you know hired a lot of people, and it's like an actual full on like mid sized business now. And it's more about like how do you keep the business going? Not, your your startup is successful. How do you keep it going with you know when you move into like a managerial role, and you're no longer doing like the thing that you loved or you really cared about. Like what does that look like for for the other guys who really care, or you know. Uh, um, 
uh, for Ray and, and, and Egon, um, like the people who actually really understood the business and now they're sort of relegated to these like weird managerial tasks, which maybe is not the, the funniest place to put them for like a comedy movie, but you know, well, that, that is, um, it is funny that, there, I mean, there is potential there to like, just still put them under Vinkman's thumb to a degree. Um, but I, w- I was actually thinking, like, it's interesting that you said that, because I was thinking, like, if you took a step back and it starts, I was going to suggest that, like, maybe the first sequence is Venkman's, like, we can expand, let's hire some people, we don't have to do the grunt work anymore, and it could actually lead to a place where you're talking about, where he was, like, you know, they get successful enough and have enough income and enough success that he can become sort of a celebrity, um, you know, just the, just the, just the used car TV salesman right. kind of guy, yeah. Um, and he was. Rec- I, I just thought it might be fun and used car TV salesman. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I'm thinking of like on I don't TV. He only sells cars that were used in conversion vans or TVs that were used in conversion vans for for years, like pimp my ride stuff. And they kind of have they kind of have these commercials or similar TV appearances in one of the movies. But I was I don't know if Bill's Carpet Fair is nationwide or. I don't if think Bill's Carpet Fair is nationwide. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you've been talking about at all. Based on the quality of the commercial alone, I would imagine Bill's Carpet Fair but that's, is only that's a local what, okay. Baltimore thing. That's what I mean, though. It's like a local commercial. Like, they're my favorite thing in the world. Well, they did one in the but first movie, I, right? Like, yeah. We uh, believe we're ready you. to believe you. Yeah. It's like bad. It's like really great, the, the commercial they did in the movie. Yeah, that, and I, I remember that to a degree. No, but I but mean, if you this just be- movie, it's like not a local commercial. It's like... It's like know, nationwide. They, yeah, they spend money on the ad. It's like all this shit only ever seems to happen in New York. Like, can we franchise this out? You know? And then they start trying to get yeah. franchises going. Yeah, but I think we're all on the same page then. Like like a similar, like a business... Like a business like just taking the next logical step from the business standpoint and utilizing the salesman of Peter Venkman as opposed to just the, the Ghostbuster love, like, romantic story, if that makes sense. What I love about, like, the Ghostbusters, I like, the idea of them trying to franchise is that, like, in no world would that ever be fucking viable at all. Like, they capitalized on a weird one-off, I guess two-off event that happened in New York City. And, like, how would you possibly just be like, well, let's, there's just ghosts all the time now, I guess? Like, nationwide or worldwide, I guess, forever? So, you know, there's definitely going to be enough business for, like, a San Francisco office, or, like, a Texas office, or, like, a Wisconsin office. Like, it's so weird that you would ever think that that would ever work in any place. Like, you went from a city to two states. <laughs> Hi, I'm there's not from one, this country. <laughs> there's one in San Francisco, and then there's one in all of Texas and all of Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, Texas is a really small state from what I remember. It's pretty small. Yeah. There could be an interesting thing, though, there, where, like, maybe you didn't even think of it, right? And um, other, you know, like New Orleans or something. I, I don't know why that popped up as as a potential city, but some, like, there are other places that are kinds of hubs of uh, paranormal activity and like other small businesses. Fuck, there's like, a competitor. Like the yeah. Oh, and then he's, shit. Just, he's trying to like sell the brand because they were the first. You know oh, what I mean? man. I love that. The idea of like, like, you know, easy bust is like, <laughs> it's like the local, like new Orleans ghost busting chapter. That's so good. We don't even need to take it out of New York for that. I feel like that that's a good premise on its own where you just have, like, like they are, 
like he doesn't give a shit about the business and he's trying to like do all this corporate shit but there's this actual like real uh upstart you know rival ghostbusting business that starts up like that would have been what they should have done with like the Seth Rogen version of this when that was happening like you know what i mean like where they're kind of fighting for territory and like they have yeah. to, they have to like the, the old the old school ghostbusters have to sort of like prove that they're the best you know by the end of the movie so they just keep well, they keep showing but, up to jobs and the other like like easy bust is already there like fuck like yeah, goddamn exactly. we lost another one asses, but that's yeah. <laughs> but that's where i think where if Vigman was like trying to come in and like manipulate and like scheme people out of like like into the brand like you know you know what i mean that feels more in line with like Vigman's character and like servicing that thing we were talking about where if he's you know he's trying to sell him on the point and he's like you know you could carry the mark of respect that comes with these fine gentlemen right here who defended New York City, not once, but twice. You know what I mean? Like, he could be, like, putting on that pitch and just, like, trying to get these people's fucking hard-earned money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, it feels like more of, like, that, would, that kind of thing would service the scam artist of Inkman and, the, like, the, the kind of guy we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. What I love about the idea of com- competition, to your point, Chris, is that, like, because of the way that capitalism works, it doesn't matter how many times they, they like, saved effectively new york it's just whoever can do it cheapest so if this other like ghostbusting company can do it for like half price they would just like like all of new york would stop throwing like impromptu parades for like the ghostbusters and shit they would just take the lowest like the the cheap version like the el cheapo version of the ghostbusters which like that would just piss him off so much there's definitely seen in the movie where like you know bill murray is like uh having lunch with the mayor or like they're, they're at a ribbon cutting ceremony, you know, like they're, they're in with the city and they're all there decked out in their, their gear. And then, uh, like a ghost breakout happens, but they don't end up saving the, the city from the ghosts. Then, Uh, you know, it's like these, these upstart guys come in and do it like for the news crews that were there for the, for the ribbon cutting, you know? Yeah, like that—that's the kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it just embarrasses them, and all the news cameras are, like catch it all. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and they're and they're sort of like forced to deal with this, like, you know, they were resting on their laurels, and now they have to actually kind of do something. But then they start talking about, well, maybe we should retire. You know, yeah. who, who cares? Why don't we sell the franchise to these young kids who give a shit and move on with our lives? You know, then that becomes not possible. Like they want to, and the kids want to name it the Extreme Ghostbusters. <laughs> or the real the Ghostbusters. Real Ghostbusters? <laughs> yeah. I'm just running a in a, re- a wheelchair. Yeah, exactly. Wait, why? Because I was in Harrison was referencing a real cartoon show called The Extreme Ghostbusters. What? That was a real there, thing. There yeah. was one, yeah. And there was one in a wheelchair. Oh. I don't yeah. know why. It's pretty extreme. Yeah, Extreme Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters. I don't know why they called them the real Ghostbusters. I'm sure there's an interesting like copyright reason for that. But the the cartoon was the real Ghostbusters, and then there was a another one in the '90s when everything was like extreme. It had to be extreme marketed. Yeah. There was Extreme Ghostbusters, and like it was there's like Extreme GI Joe too. What? No way. What? How do you get more extreme than GI Joe? GI Joe was pretty extreme. Yeah. Yeah. They literally fired missiles out of their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, I what believe you. Now I don't believe you. That was no GI Joe Extreme was actual thing, and there was a cartoon. I think that went with it. There's definitely toys. The toys were bigger. I'm gonna need you to explain the rockets out of the dicks thing for me really quickly. I don't know what else there's. <laughs> Every literally everything. 
Um, but getting back to this this movie, um, I think, and I, I'm, I was, you know, in that ridiculous conversation, I was thinking about it, and I, I don't think that our ideas could uh, not coexist. Maybe that's Vinkman's first tactic. The thing I was talking about in response to a competition. Well, the problem yeah. I have with your pitch is that Vinkman didn't like. He, the first movie he became not the sleazy guy anymore, and Ghostbusters Two, he's kind of like they do a good thing where he's not with Dana. Like she, she clearly was like he's a creep. Uh, got rid of him, got married to some other guy, and had a kid. You know, yeah. that may or may not be his kid, right? Like don't really talk about it uh, explicitly, I don't think. But like that was that was good. You know, they they kind of showed that he hadn't really changed by the end of the movie. But even so. I feel like at the start of this one, if he's just sleezing it up, um, I think you want him to get sleazy again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think what yeah. you want is for this this to draw out the sleaze. Like, you want him yeah, to have Yeah, it's just, like, always in him. Yeah. 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 I, I think, it, yeah. Um, but you want him to get back there. And I think that it's fun... He doesn't feel like the guy who's ever going to really completely learn his lesson. I mean, it, fe- it always felt to me like in Ghostbusters Two that he try he was trying to be better for Dana because off screen they had some big fight and they broke up and she was like, "You're a creep. You're a shitty dude. I, I can't be with you." And she she leaves him and it it affects him and he's trying to be a better person, but he can't really. Right? He like he can't learn his lesson. He's he's Venkman, but he's trying and it's like a surface level thing and he's he's not really working super hard at it but he's he's just kind of it's just an act you know he's never actually learned his lesson but he's trying to he's trying to learn his lesson but he just can't so i don't know like the idea that he's trying to be a better person but he just he just goes off oh, this is way too much fucking work this is not who i am uh in the third movie and like he, you know he, he sort of like the the trying to become that that cartoon character again like that that um scam artist again he's just like yeah this is who i, who I always was really in, in deep down like i tried to ignore it i tried to sort of push it away for her um after she left me and had a kid with another guy and i tried to do all these altruistic things but it's just not who i am deep down well i think you could do that i think that the other way to do it would be to have him stop trying to be better and then like realizing through like let's say these upstart guys come in and then he starts to do some really like gin genius shit to sort of undermine them and then they go under you know like mm. he wins but he feels fucking terrible about it and then he has to go like g- recruit them to help him later in the movie like save the city and through that realizes that like okay like i have a ceiling or i have a floor you know at least i didn't realize i have a floor earlier but now i know where it is and that sort of makes him better enough like yeah. he, once he stops trying to be better he becomes better uh and then that sort of allows her in or him in you know i i like that idea yeah. because i like i like the idea of of the other guys like kind of being dragged down with him like he kind of like gets them on board with being shitty <laughs> to this other group whatever plan he has it probably starts sort of small and escalates to a point where it's like whoa damn like that's some underhanded shit but i imagine that like ray and egon kind of he they kind of get on board with it because they don't want to lose the business either so like they 
maybe there's a part of them that actually enjoy it or maybe they're just like this you know we don't want to do it but we have to do it and sort of seeing him infect the others in that way could be kind of interesting you know like making them a little bit more like him instead of the other way around well and egon i mean he appealing appealing to egon's intellect right and saying like you know you're really gonna let these kids show you up kind of a thing yeah, I can feel yeah. like... Or, like, they stole your tech, man. They, like, they cloned your, like, proton pack or whatever they did, right? Like, they have to have they have to have gotten the tech somehow. Or they have better tech, you know? Like, they have better tech, and that's the thing. Like, they're still using the proton packs because they've gotten, they've gotten lazy. These guys have just got, like, a trap that just sucks all the ghosts in without needing the proton pack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just, like, a, they, like, they come along, and it's just more impressive. It's, like, smoother. You know what would be great about that, too, is uh, I think Egon and probably Ray's first reaction to that tech wouldn't be a thing of insult or um, anger. Or they'd be like, so stoked. They'd be so yeah, excited. Yeah, they'd just be excited about the tech. So you could see, like, there would be, like, if it weren't for Venkman, there would have probably have been, a like, a natural, like, respect here between these two groups. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, but he kind of makes it, like... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He makes it like um, antagonistic creates, in a way that yeah, didn't he, need to he be. He creates the problem he's going to have to solve later. Yeah, yeah, and that fits totally. That's it. Can I'm I? Done. Okay, can I just take a second? I I want to talk about how in the second Ghostbusters movie they fucking make the Statue of Liberty move by spraying it with ooze. <laughs> yeah. like, it's so yeah. ridiculous. Like, yeah. They, someone someone they was just like, how do we make this movie bigger than the first movie? I don't know. The, we move the Statue of Liberty and it comes alive. It's an, it's like, it's spiritually inhabited by ghost slime. Like, what the fuck? Really? It, well, it's also like, it, uh, it it's silly and unimportant as like the science and rules and things like seem in the first one they're actually really easy to understand and really well defined and like what you're talking about the statue of liberty is like she doesn't have legs yeah so how the fuck can she walk you know yeah what I mean? it's like exactly it's like there's the, no it's bones like that, in there there's like that little tear in the fabric of the reality of the film that's just like ridiculous because like they're not she's not a ghost you know it's just like what, what right what, how are we explaining this in the in the mythology of the movie it's like some executive got really stoked about the the marshmallow man or like what if marshmallow man the sequel it's the Statue of Liberty, and everyone went fuck yeah, like on a whiteboard, like underlined three times, and and that was. I just that. think they were all sitting in the room, going like, ah, what's bigger? What's bigger? What do we have that's bigger than the Stay Puff guy? Like, and then somebody was like, ah, Statue of Liberty. Ah, yes, we got it. Half day, yeah. everyone, go home. And they're yeah. like, oh, and you know what's really good about that? It's it's like a symbol for the for the people of New York. That's the other thing, right? <laughs> like they beat Vigo. By like singing it like songs at him, like the citizens outside are singing like a joyous yeah. Christmas tune or whatever, and like the good like that's the other thing about this movie. It's so we're talking about it being like comically good versus evil, and it's very like childish and simple in a in a negative way, where it's like happy the vibes and good energy is all it takes to defeat evil. It's so it's so like weirdly Overwrought. yeah, like the first movie is really cynical in a lot of ways. It's it like through through. Uh, you know, Venkman, it's it's pretty cynical. He starts out pretty cynical and, and, and slightly less cynical. But, it, again... One it's, of the best moments in the first movie is when Rick Moranis runs up to the cop on the horse and, like, and he's, like, clearly crazy and he just runs away and the cop's just like, what an asshole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, he sees people like that all day. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, that's, like, so... Like, what you're talking about in the second movie is so, like, against that 
You know, like so, yeah. like flying in the face of that kind of. But yeah, for sure. I think I think it's a good point, like bringing that. Well, and like the whole second movie's premise is dumb too. I mean, like all of the slime that is like for some reason bad is being created by people's hating each other. Yeah. And like negative energy. Yeah. It's like such a like a uh, high concept premise. It really is. That, like it like you don't need that on top of an already high concept premise, which is that there are people who bless ghosts for a living. Yeah. You know, like and lock them up in a jail. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> the first jail. movie yeah. is just you have a, a vacuum cleaner that sucks ghosts out of the air and you store them uh be- in like a tank and then what if someone turned that off? That would be bad, right? And that's the whole movie. And like, with the ghost boom, Ghostbusters is what you know. Similar supernatural elements do in other good stories. Um, it's just catalysts for like the character story, right? Like they're not, they don't deserve, that they don't need that amount of screen time or that amount of like depth or right. You know, it's it's just the, it's just the one sort of like genre convention that like, you know. In the first one, like, just helps forward the story of the business, you know? It just makes this more than just that kind of, like, a story that was about, like, a, like, a, I don't know, any other sort of business. Um, it just makes it fun and cinematic. Like, it's not that, so in the second one, when they start to give too much, like, precedence to that and too much, like, reverence to it, it just takes away from what makes the thing work. It's kind of what you were saying earlier. Uh, I can't remember who said it, it might have been you, Chris, that where like the first movie's not really plot driven at all. It's kind of character driven. And the second movie is like way up its own ass about the plot and like it all has to interconnect and it all has to like expand the lore of like ghosts in this world. And I think that like somehow they're they, they tie it into the guy, like the architect from the like that made the build the first movie's building, which is like a lightning rod for ghosts. And like they talk about him some more, and like they keep expanding on this weird like world lore, like world stuff yeah. that they've built, and it's not, it's nobody gives a shit about any of that stuff, right? Like it's it's Venkman and and Ray and Egon and Zedmore, and oddly fucking uh, what's his name, uh, um, Rick Moranis' character, who also somehow like gets a proton proton pack, gets to join the team. Uh, it's just there. Oh God, I forgot. Yeah. That. Yeah, he's got earmuffs on. <laughs> oh my god, that's so, so that is such a Hollywood bullshit thing to do. What if it was so more Ghostbusters? Annoying. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's like the only way to get the third Ghostbusters that have been good was to get Bill Murray uh, back, like, and bring all the cynicism he would be bringing, just doing the movie at all, <laughs> you right? Know, into the movie and just channeling the shit out of it. Yeah. It's a what movie was it? I think it was the actual Ghostbusters remake where he just he sits down his whole scene <laughs> because because he can't be bothered to stand That's up. That's amazing. And <laughs> I heard a story, and I and this might just be apocryphal. Apocryphal? Did I say that right? Um, where he was recording lines for the for the Ghostbusters game that they made a couple years ago, and like he was so could not give a rat's ass about that that they had to get him to record his lines into like a microphone while he was at the golf club 
Like he was just playing golf on the field, <laughs> reading a line. Like someone would just like put the script in front of his face. He would say the line into a microphone and then go and like hit his ball again because he just could not be <laughs> fucking ass. Which I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I remember hearing that story from somebody who either was there or knew someone that was there, which is is not at all somebody. Who yeah, was well, there. like you know, we know folks in the industry. So it, it, again, it's, it might be an apocryphal story uh, and not be true at all. But if it is true, it totally lines up with that. That guy just being super cynical. He's just like, just give me my check. I can't even bother to come into the. I can't even bother to come into the recording studio. You, you come to me. He didn't want to do the first one. I don't think. I think he was okay with the first one. I'm, you might be wrong about that, but like when they, they were like, you're gonna do a sequel. Like why? He was just like, <laughs> what? Why? What, what? What's the point? I'm pretty sure he only did. Was it Razor's Edge? Like I'm pretty sure that he only did the first one because the studio said he could, could do Razor's Edge. Mm. If if he did this film because they were like they, you know there's a bunch of people who like Eddie Murphy was supposed to be in the movie for a while mm. Eddie Murphy or yeah I know I I, I I always get him that name confused with Eddie Murray the baseball player and every time that's it comes only because you're from Baltimore like, this, that's two Baltimore deep cuts on this episode so far there's going to be more alright let's, let's go for the hat <laughs> yeah. trick one more there's going to be one more it's going to be ridiculous and nobody cares I can't um, wait yeah, I don't even care. But <laughs> you're from um, Baltimore. Yeah. So, so like, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was oh, gonna what I was going to say was, um, you I just, piece of shit. Uh, no, you can't go. Fuck you. Uh, I just, I just heard the other day that um, the original draft of the first screenplay that uh, that Dan Aykroyd had done for Ghostbusters was like 500 pages. Or I love that. Crazy like that. I believe it. And then they had to just like get somebody to come in and go like, okay, no, uh, we can't make any of this, you nutcase, and just parried, pared it down to 120 pages of script that they could use. And then most of that was thrown out in the filming. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was going to say, like they, yeah. like, they definitely had a script, but I can't, it couldn't have been more than like 30 pages because of how much bullshit Bill Murray just like spewed out, like ad-libbed in that movie. Like 90% of that movie is, ad- is Bill Murray ad-libbing. Yeah. Anyway, that's an interesting fact for you. How do, well, how do we anticipate that in in our? Well, that's that's what you like. You have to account for Bill Murray being uh, both not having wanted to do the second movie at all, and then coming in to do the third movie. Like, how did you get him back? You know, what did you promise him to get him back? And like, it must have been that you know, like Venkman dies. <laughs> like three quarters of the way through the movie like, or something. It's like getting uh, Harrison Ford back for for Star Wars. Yeah, like exactly, we promise yeah. you, you'll never have to be Han Solo ever again. Well, there's, I was just thinking about that, and like if Venkman's gets like sucked into like a ghost world, and he's just kind of like gone the whole time, and you just kind of check in with him every once in a while, and he's just like, I don't know, something about seeing Venkman in like a completely different reality, like could either be so. I want to pitch something uh, that I think is uh, this is I'm not going to jump off that idea. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Take your idea and shove it directly up your ass. Okay. <laughs> You're right. There wasn't really much to be added to. It was already perfect. <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. No. Um, so the kid, the kid's the kid, uh, Dana Barrett's kid is named Toby, correct? No, it's like Oscar. Oscar. Oscar idiot. Fuck. Uh, Both awful so names. Oscar. Oscar. Toby's a kid from Labyrinth. Oscar uh, comes back into the into Venkman's life, uh, yes, because he's really his father. <laughs> it would be uh, great. Like he wants to ghost bus. He's like older now. You know, he's like eighteen. Is he on the 
like the the, the second Ghostbusters team? Is he no, is he, he in the startup? He, he gets driven over there. Okay. Yeah. So what happens is Oscar shows up. He's like, Dad, uh, and he's like, Don't call me Dad. I want to work <laughs> as a Ghostbuster. And he's like, No. And so he kicks him out. He won't he won't have anything to do with him. Oscar gets upset. He leaves. Then later on, when the uh, the, the you know Easy Bus guys show up at you know whatever it is the ribbon cutting ceremony, like he's with them. Yeah. Yeah, and then then Bankman is jealous. Yeah, he's he's he'd be extra pissed at him, right? Because would he secretly be like, "No, this is too dangerous for you," and I secretly love you, or is he just like, "No, fuck you. I don't want. I don't want to be reminded that you're my kid. I actually don't want you in my life at all. Like now, now I have to deal with you not only in my life, but like being my competitor. That's like twice as bad." Yeah, and then I think it would, that actually could be fun if it manifested in, in like a Venkmany proud way, where he's like not, he's not going to just like crumble and say that to him. He's gonna. He's he's not gonna like swallow his pride and say anything like that to him. Right? He's just gonna like crank up the heat on the competition aspect or something. That, you know? that definitely like changes changes the like the 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 sort of emotional impact of him going out of his way to like bankrupt the the competitor. Like the <laughs> like the idea that he's like he tries to bankrupt them and then realizes that now he's like got his kid effectively like, like lost his job like got his kid uh um fired and and like has no job now is way different tonally than it was before well i wasn't still running with that aspect of he does bankrupt them necessarily i was just kind of like if if that's the case so i i like the setup right I, we have a good setup but I want to know, like, where do we go? So, like, we have these, we have this, like, easy bust, you know, comp- competition on the scene in New York, and you know, it, it's it's almost like the the Zoolander thing, or like the new hot guys come in and like the like they're they're like so hot, you know, everyone's giving them jobs because they're young and energetic and they really they're hungry for the business, and then the old guys are kind of like getting pushed out. But like, where do we go with it? Like, is there? Are a... you talking about Zoolander two? No, Zoolander one. Oh. It is like remember. it is like the setup of that movie where like a guy who's been doing it forever is suddenly supplanted where in a way he never thought he could be by a younger, hotter, like up and comer who's like hungry for His it. His younger, hotter son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, Owen, Owen Wilson played by or Oscar played by Owen Wilson. Uh, oh yeah. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's just gonna be so good. <laughs> That's really good, actually. Um, we'll get That's you to do fine. the video game. Uh, we'll do we'll you'll be the sound alike for the video game of this. Of this wow, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> fuck, that's really good. There's some ghosts. <laughs> see, now I know why Bill Murray doesn't want him on his oh, team. now I, I see what it is. Anyway, <laughs> she's doing Owen Wilson impressions. It's terrible. I could actually listen yeah. to that. It would have been longer, so. <laughs> No, I'm good. I'm all good. I'm all good with the Owen Wilson impressions. Oh, man. Bring it back later when we're not thinking about it. And then, oh, and then, like, one of his, like, the other Ghostbusters is Ben Stiller, and it's like, you, but you, you can't just, uh, uh. You know, it's just, like, that dynamic the entire movie. Oh, God, this, this movie's getting worse and worse. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Ben Stiller. Here's the new four Ghostbusters, Neasy Bus. It's Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson. Jack Black. Adam Sandler, oh, Kevin, Kevin James. Oh, Kevin James! Yes. He's not young and, like, hungry, though. <laughs> oh, no, but if this is the mid-90s, it wouldn't be no, Kevin James. No, but he's from New York. He's the king of Queens, goddammit. Okay, as long as he like hurts himself and goes, that's going to leave a mark because that's Kevin James's like whole thing. Hang on though, what's going to happen if this was the '90s though? It wouldn't be Kevin James. It would be Matt LeBlanc or Chandler. Oh whoever, shit! Whatever yeah. his name is. 
Adam Sandler was in the 90s. He could have actually. No, I'm saying you're right on that. And Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller. All of those guys are damn are right on. Chris Rock. Oh, yeah, Chris Rock. Chris Rock would have totally been in there and he would have been like, oh, they got one black guy too. You know, you're making those kind of jokes the entire movie. Yeah. It's funny because I was totally going to call out like David Spade or Chris Farley for for, for a character. In Chris, this. Farley Chris Farley would have been, been amazing. Chris Farley would have been the fucking yeah. best yeah. Ghostbusters ad ever. Yep, I agree. Uh, I was actually funny because I was actually going to totally ask you guys like who would who would be on this team, and I think we fucking nailed it. In a '90s version of this, absolutely, like a, yeah. Chris uh, Farley would have been amazing. But Davis, what, uh, yeah, David Spade might have been. Well, I mean, they come as a pair, right? You can't have one without the other in the '90s. Yeah, Mike Myers, maybe, maybe. See, now I think there, I, I think that there's a there's a like goofball limit and we can't have everyone on the team be like the goofiest no, but there's dude a thing, like mike myers is a cameo as like a mater d or something because it was yeah. a ghost he is a ghost oh he's yeah. a ghost <laughs> yeah exactly. he's totally ghost. a ghost mater d yeah let me show you to your he table. can do a goofy accent he, does, he always is yeah. a british accent for some reason uh so where do we go with this we have this we have a good act one and two but what's our act three look like so here's there's two ways this could go there's the um, there's the, the the extreme Hollywood version, which is that they are pit each they are pitted against each other to the point where uh, it's like set to the Nutcracker in the trailer. Do you know what I mean? It's like yes, yeah. <laughs> the Nutcracker starts playing it's like the jingle all the way through. Yeah, exactly. And and um, you start seeing like it escalates, you know, or Ode to Joy could also be Ode to Joy in the trailer. Yeah. Where it escalates, where Bill Murray um, and and Oscar are fighting, Bankman and, and Oscar are fighting, uh, and these two places, this, these two ghost busting firms are warring. Wait, I'm confused because Oscar was literally one years old in the '80s. Oh shit, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but many, like, a lot of time had passed between the first two movies too. Like, what did the second movie come out? Eighty nine, eighty eight. Like, this could be late '90s. I mean, who knows? Where he's 10. Well, it doesn't have to be real time. Okay. I'm just getting. I just. Well, that's what I'm confused Listen, about. Listen, we're, we're okay. weaving a rich tapestry here, Chris. Don't destroy the momentum oh, we yeah. have going. I just want to make sure I understand the timeline in terms of the, the Who story. Who gives a shit? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then. Uh, then. Oscar, so the, they could be warring back and forth. And basically, the whole movie is just an escalating series of like. You know, they do like the, the 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 original Ghostbusters do something. The OG Ghostbusters do something bad to the new Ghostbusters to try and take them down, and then they retaliate, and it's sort of a like a like a police academy esque thing. It's like a prank war, yeah, 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 yeah I basically, got you. Uh, which ends up in, in nobody winning, and then them having to team up at the end of the movie and fight the 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 you know whatever is threatening New York this week um, together. Then there's the better version, which is, I think, uh, where, it, like, Venkman doesn't really learn any lessons uh, uh, by the end of it. And, like, he basically realizes he sucks, but he lost everything. He realizes it too late. And then uh, they win. Like, his, his, you know, the youthful Ghostbusters win, but not in a way that, like, it feels like a passing of the torch. It's just shitty, and he feels terrible and becomes homeless or something. And then that's the end of the movie, which I feel like. What is, is the with better... you making movies about homeless people? Like you did that with our Mario uh, uh, episode. Where no, homeless... he wasn't. He was mentally unstable. He was like okay, homeless. Sorry. He may have ended up homeless, 
But he still had an apartment and everything where he went back to eat mushrooms. Okay, keep up. It's it's like a it's like a Venkman come up come up in story. Yeah, basically. I think that uh, I I think there's room in in either of those. I, I mean, I like obviously the, the better one better because you know I I want you guys to like me and approve of my choices, so I'm going to agree with that the better one is better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think there's definitely room in that for whatever they're doing to prank each other, not prank each other, but to like one up each other in a in a not pranky kind of way to cause something like to cause the big problem right like they they start getting like fast and loose with their like ghost containment or they like take on too many jobs and they like overstuff the like the containment unit or something and they and you know vinkman or or um egon's like yo we can't keep doing this and he's like no no we have to win we have to get enough ghosts or whatever and uh Something that they both like—they're both culpable in some way, or or it could just be Venkman. I don't I don't know which one's better. Uh, but they caught like Chris. You were saying earlier in the podcast, like d- did they cause the the big sort of like apocalypse in the first movie? But what if in this movie they because they sort of throw caution to the wind to to beat out their competitors, they loosen their standards and and something really bad happens. I think that's what Sean was trying to dig at with his two different pitches, though. It's like that does feel. There's an appeal to that kind of thing, I think, from, like, the Hollywood... In the same way that Ghostbusters 2 had that kind of appeal, was, like, there was a bigger... And I know they didn't cause the problem, but... So what you're saying is is my idea is shit, is what you're telling me. <laughs> no, it's not that it's shit, and it's not even necessarily couldn't work. It's just, uh... I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I'm trying to... I'm just thinking about it, like, because I think Sean's got a point that it's, like, as depressing as his, like, Venkman homeless <laughs> feels... Like, it feels true to the character in a way that the first one did. You know, so if it's, like, if it's all of a sudden, like, if they cause the problem and then they can solve it together, it feels a little... I don't know what the resolution is. I think that what I'm trying to say is going from, act like, the Act 2 to Act 3 break is some shit, some escalation, uh, and then however we resolve it, I don't know, but the idea that, like, this this competition caused something like something that they have to solve whether i don't care i don't think they should team up because that's way too hollywood and way too like feel good uh, and i think that yeah. it's what, what's cool is if jokes aside like uh vinkman becoming homeless but then like just go turning to the next grift like what is it like he, he starts selling like pet rocks or some shit and he he just kind of like moves on to yeah so he, just he moves on to the next thing yeah yeah too. okay fair but like he there, somehow it's just like he never really cared at all he never really it was Really well, the end of the movie has got to be like there's some sort of like a uh, pyrrhic victory where he's, you know, uh, he, he's he's homeless, yeah, but like Dana likes him again, you know. She stops and by she, and like, brings yeah, him. She bread. comes and plays the violin or the cello. <laughs> she plays the cello. Right? She just like the end of the movie is like her stopping with her cello and like playing for him while he's eating like a like a, a like a like a PBJ that he dug out of a trash can five seconds earlier. <laughs> Go, and, and then end Ghostbusters three. Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, he's wrestling. He's wrestling a sandwich away from Slimer. Oh man, him, him Slimer just palling around. Ugh, that's how that's how Hollywood version of this. But I mean, end. there is a way to do that's it. Like, that's the fucking cartoon. That's true. He like joins their team in the cartoon. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I think it's in the end credits of the Ghostbusters cartoon. Where Bankman like wrestles with Slimer in the trash can. <laughs> it's awesome. a reference. We're doing references now to the '80s cartoon. Perfect. What were you going to say, Sean? That was more important. Oh, than that? I just I do think that there is like there is a way. Like 
you know, you pitch it and it just sounds, you know, immediately horrible uh, and uh, sort of a downer. But I, I, I think there's a way to get to something like that that doesn't feel that way. It's like, it's a natural progression. It's still a comedy. It's, it's still like um, tonally up at the end of the movie, even though he's, you know, he's down. If that makes sense. That's kind of what I was trying to get at with the, like, he moves on to the next thing. Like, there is an upbeat for him. It's not just like, well, he lives outside <laughs> now. Like, there has to be some sort of, like, right. it doesn't bother him that much. Like, that's he's like he still hasn't learned his lesson, you know? Like, you don't want it to end on, like, he learned his lesson finally. He just, he burned everything away, like you're saying, as a Pyrrhic victory. And he's fine with that. Like, it, it, and I don't know how the hell we would we would actually write that to feel like he's fine with it. But, yeah, I, I think that, I agree. Like, it is the logical ending of that 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 character, but is it a logical ending of like the series? I don't know. That's a good question. I think what you're digging at is like just making sure that it just part of what I think the problem with or some a lot of people's problem with Ghostbusters Two is it did feel too heroic. It did feel too noble. It did have that like again like that PG look kind of Disney shine on it, you know. Whereas if you do something more on that lion and it doesn't. It's not. It's not as clear cut and good versus evil, black and white of a win, right? Like it's just something truer to that character and how that would. Well, have it developed. doesn't. It, you know, it doesn't preclude the movie ending on like a. You know, like the the movie. The, basically, like Venkman uh, and, and like Ray and Egon and Winston, like across the street from the young guys having won their victory that they won in the first movie, and like moving on, and that feeling like okay, this is right. You know, everybody feels okay about it. Yeah. Good job, guys. They see each other from across the street. Like, it's raining ash or whatever fucking shit is coming down. Like, it's similar to the end of the first movie, but, you know, they're, they don't need to be there now. And they are, they're all cool with that, which is not how the movie started at all. Um, and then that leading yeah. to, like, six months later, Bill Murray digging a peanut butter jelly sandwich out of a trash can. But, like, I, I, there's a way you can end that where it feels good. It might be a little bit too desperate, but kind of the way that you were just building off like the, you know, you said they were across the street from them. If, if they were like in a desperate attempt to, to prove their relevance, like they were battling a much smaller ghost scenario with, with, with the outdated tech and a dwindling public mm-hmm. um, opinion. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then they defeat that, and then they turn around, and, like, the other guys had done something much more... Yeah, like, they're not in the li- they're not in the limelight anymore, but they're still kind of just, like, chugging along. Yeah, I, I mean, it's that, I mean, the, the literal presentation of that, as, as I was jumping off of Sean's thing, feels, you know, coincidental and goofy, but, like, they tried, their time had come and went, you know, I think it's kind of what you're digging at. Well, and I'm getting that's the that's the climax of the film. Like, yeah. To me, it's like they they get to the they get they get to the the big climactic battle, and sort of are outmatched and realize they're outmatched and have to make the decision to let the younger guys give it a shot, and that pays off. But that's what that's they, they in a way save the city by doing that. And so, yeah. like stepping stepping back is the correct move to make to save the city. Yeah. And exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, there's like that, like there's no saccharine bullshit between him and Oscar, but there is a moment, yeah. you know, uh, in there, and and uh, and then, you know, 
Dana comes to find him later. It's that kind of a thing. Yeah. That, see, that feels to me like an actual, like, we keep talking, we, we focus a lot of this this podcast slash movie pitch on on Venkman, and there are other characters that we haven't really touched on, which is fine, because, you know, they're, they're sort of supporting characters, really, but there is, it's, it's a movie about a group of people who, like, trap ghosts, right? Like, it's pretty goofy, so, you know, like, having a guy be homeless at the end might feel right for Venkman, but I don't know if it feels right for the, the end of a movie where guys are, like, fucking exterminators for ghosts. However, the the pitch that you guys have made, where it's more like, okay, they both go up against the whatever the big big evil the big monster in this movie and to to step back and let the let the other guys sort of like win it just take the take the win and get the glory and and just sort of like fade into the background is the only move that they can make to save people and like saving the city is what they've always done it's not about the glory and especially if we start the movie with Vinkman sort of like being the kind of car salesman trying to get the glory and they realize that that's not what it's about it's about making sure nobody fucking dies um and the movie ends with them sort of like packing their shit up and being like, "Okay, like we, this is what we, this is what we signed up for. This is exactly how it's going out." Um, that it it feels it, that feels right to me. I don't know if, how you guys feel about well, that. That's the end of the Ghostbusters, right? Yeah. And that that's a good ending for this. And and I agree. I feel like it's you know you're getting to a place where they have uh, essentially realized that they're not useful in the way that they used to be. Um, it's kind of like getting old, you know? Yeah. Like you do as a, as people who are getting older, you have to step out of the way for the younger generation to be able to do shit, you know? It's also a thing of like, they're probably sick of each other, you know? They're probably, mm-hmm. like they, where they're, where they're watching the victory of these younger guys, these younger guys, it's like the peak of their life, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the greatest moment of their life and they've already kind of had that. Yeah. And like, they can't just keep getting it. You know, the, the despite the situation, you know, like like despite the the raise in stakes, so to speak, you know, right. like that's not what the movie's about. It's not about like it's not about fucking getting the Statue of Liberty to move because it's bigger <laughs> and feels. But you know what I mean? It's like it's like how many? It's like what's next? The goddamn I don't know, like the Sphinx. You know what I mean? It's like what's it's you can only hit a you're gonna hit a ceiling eventually in any endeavor, you know? Yeah. And 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 whether it, at some point in this film, it feels like they've realized that they've they've already hit it, probably even years ago. Well, and and they sh- and they should you should start the movie off with them getting pressured to sell the franchise at the the height of its yeah you know, yeah that'd be good its glory, and then saying no no we got more to do, and then uh, and then realizing that's not true, and then just selling it at the end, and then you get this great scene where Ray fucking goes into the bank and pays off those mortgages. Oh like, man, <laughs> yeah, you know, in the first movie. Uh, like a, that's that's his little coda at the end of it. Or, or he th- even better is he thinks he's going to, and then he just hasn't even taken into consideration the accrued interest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's this like, just this fuck. just takes care of the interest. I love the idea <laughs> yeah. that like his whole fucking character arc over three movies is to pay back some fucking loans. <laughs> Uh, so we, we, this is actually pretty poignant. I think we made a pretty. This is a pretty poignant uh, ending to a. So what, what that means, however, is that because Hollywood is the machine that it is, we're just going to start getting easy bust movies after this, <laughs> which are just shitty Ghostbusters movies. But instead of being named Ghostbusters, it'll be Easy Busters or whatever the fuck. It doesn't it's... tarnish the originals, though. Like yeah. that's the thing about like. You know, Terminator 1 and 2, great films. Terminator 3, mediocre film. 
Everything after that sucks balls. Yep. But the first two are still fucking great. First two Aliens movies are still good. Like, it it doesn't stop them from being good. Um, Because, like, what Hollywood would do is turn, like, you know, the people who bought the the franchise rights now sell it or or hire the Easy Bus guys to be their guys. And that's how the movie ends, so they can continue making these fucking things. I think you brought something interesting in there, Sean, where it does start where, like, they can sell the, the rights. Because that feels very kind of like there is that business sort of like... What's great about the first one is, like, there's that sort of starting a business through line that feels kind of mundane in comparison to everything else that's going on, if that makes sense. Right. Where if... And what's, one of the, the more fun ideas of the second one was that, like, Ray and Winston were doing birthday parties, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, so it's kind of, like, got that same sort of element to it. And then if these guys show up after they've sort of, like, thrown away that opportunity, the easy bus guys, it does... They are victims, then, of their own hubris. 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 How do you pronounce it? No, it's hubris. You did it right. I'm just teasing you. Um, It's nice just because, like... As any creative person knows, like, or any anybody's ever done anything like like risky or started their own thing or started a business or whatever, like, you you invest a part of yourself in that, right? So, like, to say like to give that up and and walk away, especially when it's going really well, is I think it's so intoxicating, like being like owning something like that and being in charge of something like that. So I could easily see people like, what? No, like this is me, this is mine. I am this, and it is me. So to walk away from that is really. There's no way I would ever do that. I don't do this until I'm in my grave, and I, I then yeah. I, I then am a ghost. Uh, but then they have to at the end, and I think that's something really. There, there's a lot that I think a lot of folks can relate to in that. Whether you started a business or you, you're, you know, created something from scratch or whatever, you know. That's like a gambling addiction. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> what? But, what? <laughs> what are but, you talking about? You keep doubling down. You can't give up. Like you, you don't. You, you, there's always like a bigger high to achieve. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I also feel like it's. What are you? I think you're. You're basically being offered money for something that represents twenty years of your life, and that does never. That just never seems. You know, unless that was your goal in the first place. Yeah. Uh, or if it, even it was your goal in the first place, but all, like the amount of achievement that comes along with having been doing it for that long. Uh. I mean, you think about that, right? Like, 20 years, give or take five, probably, for most people, is representative of, like, how you would, you know, build a business up to the point where it would get to be saleable, you would sell it. Uh, But that's so much of your life you've spent doing it. And it's so hard to just put a number on that, you know, even if that number makes a lot of sense. And I just think it's like, it is, you need another reason to do it like you need and, and that's what the movie would provide these guys like they would provide them that second reason just like a gambling addiction <laughs> yeah that's, i was gonna say in, in that respect i guess it's not that much like a it's gambling not at all addiction. like a gambling addiction what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> but uh, while you were talking about all that and i wasn't listening um i thought i had another idea i had another way to make this gambling addiction metaphor work. <laughs> no, just make it work like built like like Peter dies in the story, and then he comes back as a ghost, and then Oscar has to bust him. Oh fuck! <laughs> that's the that's the post credits scene for sure. Oh uh, man! And then Oscar. it's like 
he's like he just looks at him as a ghost and this big Bill Murray eyes and he's like forgive me Oscar and then he has it's really tragic and he has to put him in the trap <laughs> He has to do it by himself. He doesn't even let the other. He's just like, no, guys, I have to do this myself. And they all like walk away. Like they turn their backs on him as he does this. As he shoots his proton beam at his fucking dead ghost father. It's Bill Murray. And then he says goodbye, Dad. And then the first time he calls him Dad in the whole movie. Yeah, and he's like, goodbye, son. And then you see slowly, slowly his eyes disappear into the trap as he like like the Terminator. Oh man, I was going to make a Terminator reference. He has his thumb. He just holds his thumb up out of the trap. Yeah. The kind of rolling, like in that Peter Vank mini, like oh, I'm never gonna lose my like, my like my like annoying like nerve. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm still gonna be sarcastic. Yeah, in he just trailer. does like a goof at the end. He's like, oh god, it hurts, it hurts. I'm just fucking. Yeah, with yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's fine. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, what a good. And then Bobby Brown shows up. And he's just, Bobby Brown. There's there's an entire parade where he's singing the Ghostbusters song. Wait, did he sing that? What? Uh, yeah, Ray he, Parker no, he Jr.? The second one, the second one. Yeah, the second one. Yeah. No, Whoa, really? Yeah. Bobby Brown shows up in the second movie and sings the, the, the Bustin' song? No. He sings a different song that he wrote for the second oh, movie. Oh, I see. Okay, that's not With that funny. in mind, who writes the third, like, Ghostbusters theme? We actually just get like, Huey Lewis this time. speaking. And then all Bobby Brown does is show up and he goes, I guess we're going to have to take control. We're going to have to take <laughs> yeah, control. Damn it. And then he... He just walks away, and I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> That's a really bad reference. And somebody yells, Whitney Houston is dead. Uh, wow. But not yet. Yeah, it's your fault. Not in the 90s. <laughs> Jesus. We should really make sure that people aren't offended and get Owen Wilson on to apologize on our behalf. Well, he's here I right think. now. He's with us right now. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think we should just... Hey, listen, if anybody's offended by, you know, the internet, you know, just... Be cool. Just be the podcast cool. didn't mean anything. <laughs> oh man. And good night. Thanks for listening. And on that note, yeah. I think we're gonna call it. I, I mean, I've been trying to like gracefully do a sign off for like twenty five fucking minutes. Well, you have failed, yeah. and now there's a lot of editing to do. So fuck you. Hey, eat shit. Edit my edit my fucking podcast. Hey, that's it for this week's show. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about us, please follow us at StoryCast on Twitter. And if you have any feedback for the show or any ideas for future episodes, please email us at storiedcast at gmail.com. Storied is Harrison Pink, Sean Ainsworth, and Chris Rebert, with music, as always, by Jared Emerson Johnson. Thanks for listening. How the fuck did a cop from New York... The whole point of the first movie is he's just a cop from New York yeah, caught up in a fucking mess. Yeah. And now he's flying a Harrier jet? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, it's so good.